0: Um, Yeah, if you haven't met me before, my name's Alice. Um, I work here at St. Peter's. It's lovely to see you, especially if you, this is your first time or you're kind of new and you're kind of working out who we are and whether you love this place. Um, It's really nice to have you. Um, Just before, so we're currently in a talk series called Who Are We? And just before this series, we actually did a series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and we spent some time uh, thinking about what does Jesus think about my emotions? What does Jesus think about me and my stuff and my trauma and how can he handle that? And, you know, basically talking about emotions and why it's important for us to bring our emotions to Jesus. And we decided to go into a new series called Who Are We? Because we wanted to kind of lead us through this process by which we spent some time thinking about Jesus and us, Jesus and me. What does Jesus think of me? It's all about me. And then we wanted to go from that space into then talking about, hang on a second, if this is who I am, then who are we? Who are we all together? What, what does it look like to be part of a body as Hanel mentioned? What does it look like to be who I am created to be in the midst of who, are, who we are created to be as a church? Um, And so this evening, I wanted to talk about prayer. And there are kind of two main questions I want to think about this evening. Why is prayer important for us as individuals? So I'm going to do some, like, what does that mean for me? But then secondly, if we pray, and if we, being the operative word, if we pray together, will we see signs of the kingdom here on earth? At St. Peter's in our city. Spoiler, yes. Um, <laughs> and to start, I just want to um, share with you some observations about Jesus' life. Because I think it reveals to us what he thinks about prayer. So in Luke 5, it says this. Yet the news about him spread all the more. So that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yes, to healing. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And then in Luke 6, it says this, one of those days, Jesus went out onto a mountainside to pray and he spent the whole night praying. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. And then for my third example, I'm going to give you a little synopsis because otherwise it's too long. Um, This is, the Transfiguration, which is in Luke 9, Jesus goes away and prays with some of his friends, some of his disciples, and he has an encounter with the Father that completely transforms him. His face shines like the sun, it says. His clothes become as bright as lightning. And then the voice of God is audibly heard about him being chosen. This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. So, After a successful day commanding sicknesses to leave, Jesus goes to a solitary place and prays. Before he decides who his disciples are, he spends the whole night praying. Playing? Praying. Maybe he was also playing with the Lord. Um... And during a time of prayer amongst friends, he tangibly, visibly, audibly experiences the voice and love and pride of his father in heaven. And what does that tell us? It tells us that Jesus's prayer life was the the primary resource, was his spiritual well. It's the thing that actually resourced him to do the things that he then went on to do. And it's where he enjoyed being intimate joining with his Father, hearing from him, being reminded, oh, he loves me, my Father loves me. And the good news for us is, Jesus is the same to us in kind, so he is fully human. And that means that he shows us what we can do, you and I can do, if we are perfectly dependent on the power of the Spirit, if we are perfectly obedient to the direction and voice of our Father in heaven, But, of course, he is different in degree. He's sinless, and therefore he is kind of more fully human than we are. But it does tell us that if we want to develop a devoted and dependent relationship on God, which, shocker, I'd like to suggest is a really bloody good idea, um, if we want to tangibly experience God's love and if we want to see the power of the spirit in signs and wonders similar to the ones we read about those in Jesus' ministry, we have to pray. It's what Jesus did. It's how he did it. It's not just because he was Jesus, although it was. It's because he prayed. It's because he knew what his father was doing. Now, I do know that there are a plethora of questions that come up when you even so much as dip your toe into prayer territory. One being, how? Two being, what about all the unanswered prayer? Another being, you know, does prayer actually change anything? Give me some proof. And all of these things are really legitimate questions. I think they're questions we have to ask ourselves. I think it is important. It's okay to have those questions. And um, so I just want to be aware of that and say I'm going to try and touch on all of those things. So just bear with me. Properly understood, prayer is kind of twofold. It is relational communication between us and God, both individually and corporately. We're speaking to him, he's speaking to us. And it is our kingdom bringing weapon. It is a weapon to bring the kingdom here on earth. It's both. We do both in the same way. But first, let me talk about how prayer is relational. It says this in Luke 11. One day, Jesus was praying. Classic. Um, He was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. So when we talk about prayer, what better way way to start than Basically, the thing that we're all taught to memorise, pretty much categorically at school, I'm sure many of us did. In fact, I had to sing this at school every day, literally five days a week. Um, not sure why, and I actually remember asking my headmaster, like um, my head teacher, why we were singing it every day. This before I was a Christian, and she didn't seem to know either. It just like was a thing. It's just what we do, Al. Cool. Good reason. So sometimes for us, when this kind of stuff becomes normal, it also becomes a bit monotonous. It's just like, well, it's just just what I learned to do. This is just what I do. Um, And it, and it kind of means that we gloss over what it's really saying. And the thing is, with the Lord's Prayer, although it is obviously something we can powerfully pray and repeat, as we just did, actually. Um, It's something we can powerfully repeat over things. It is also Jesus revealing to us a kind of template about how we connect with God. So it's not just to be repeated. It's also revealing to us, like, oh, this is where I start. I come to to my Father. Oh, this is where we're going in prayer. So it's kind of a template. Um, And Jesus tells us to pray like this in response to the disciples' question in verse 1, Lord, teach us to pray. And I just want to mention this because I don't know whether you've ever realized that in the Gospels, when Jesus heals the sick, casts out demons, feeds 5,000 people, um, raises a dead girl from the, the grave, turns water into wine, the list goes on. At no point does one of the disciples say, Lord, can you teach me how to make water into wine? Lord, can you teach me how to raise the dead? Lord, can you teach me how to feed 5,000 people, please? They don't ask him that, but they do ask him, Lord, teach me to pray. So if you don't feel like you know how to pray, welcome to the club. Welcome to the I don't know how to pray club. I'm in it. And actually, quite frankly, it also included the people who were literally following him. The people who built the early church, they didn't know how to pray too. They had to ask the question. So it's okay if you have the question how because the disciples had the question how. And I find that comforting but also really exciting because I want to see the stuff they saw. So the disciples make this connection. Jesus is praying. I'm watching his prayer life. And then he goes on to do stuff. And I want to be able to do that stuff, but they connect that the thing that is making him do the stuff is the prayer, is the connection with, with his Father in heaven. And so then Jesus says, when you pray, always start Abba, our Abba, our Father. That's where you begin and it's something we mention often but our father or the word father or the con- like the kind of concept of father would have been radical to first century jewish culture they would never have spoken to the lord as father maybe the father of you know abraham isaac and jacob maybe but not our father God had very, very specific language that was used in relation to him. And actually, to the point of, if you got it wrong, you could literally be stoned to death in front of people. So this is serious business. And then in this moment, Jesus gathers them all together and says, first and foremost, come to him as your father, your father, our father. And... For the Jewish listeners, this creates this kind of mind bending tension, and it's actually something that's called an antinomy. And it, an antinomy is something that expresses two things that seem opposite, that cannot be true, and yet are both true. So let me give you this example God is almighty, He is sovereign, He is um, on His throne. His name is worthy to be hallowed, which is in verse two. So he's worthy for us to get on our knees and worship him. And yet over here, God is my intimate friend. He knows every hair on my head. He knit me in my mother's womb. He calls me by name. My name is written on the palm of his hands. He's my intimate friend. He's my father. He knows me. He wants to connect with me. Both of these things are true. For us, the kind of weight and shock of this antinomy might not be exactly comparable. But our view of God is influenced by our experiences of influential and arguably sometimes disappointing or painful experiences of parents, authority figures, church leaders... And I've told this story before, but I do think it's a powerful one. I once read of a um, of a South Korean woman's experience in prayer, and she recounted that, kind of growing up, she had been taught that there is a very specific way to respond to authority. Primarily, that basically you would um, meet authority with rever- reverence, without question. So, whatever the authority figure said, "Yep, I'll do that." And for that reason, kind of when she became a Christian, her sense of God was this is who he is, but to the extreme because this is God. So she would go to God in prayer and she would get on her knees physically and she would have her face down and she would beg him. She would beg him that she would see healing, she would beg him that he would forgive her sins. You know, everything was an experience of kind of begging him for things kind of this this fearfulness around him. And one day when she was doing this, she had an image come into her mind of her, herself. And it was her doing this, it was her on the floor with her face down begging God. And she had a, a kind of image come into her mind's eye of God walking up behind her and tapping her on the shoulder and she looked round and he, she looked into his face and he said, look me in the face when you speak to me, look me in the eyes. And this is the love of our Father. He wants to look into our eyes. He wants us to draw close to him. So Jesus is saying, the first thing you need to remind yourself of in prayer, God is not some absent, disapproving father. He's not angry. He's not like some cosmic police officer, just like keeping his eye out for when we get things wrong, giving us a ticket. He doesn't want us to beg. He's your father. He longs to be with you. It literally is what he is created to do be connected with us. And I just want to recognize that for some of us that will seem really difficult. And actually, during my first couple of years, in particular, of being a Christian, I found this concept of God's love really, really challenging. And this week I was reminded of a particularly kind of difficult, difficult time in this kind of experience of me really trying to come to terms with this idea that God was actually kind and he liked me and he loved me and he cared about my emotions. This particularly difficult time was basically my best friend at university in my kind of at the end of my second year of uni was at a party and um, actually got just... Basically, crazy drunk, took some drugs, and by mistake tripped off a roof and died. And I remember he was 22 when he died. And I just had no other emotion but anger. I was so, because I'd just become a Christian. So I had this sense that, like, God could have stopped this. He is powerful. I have experienced him. Why am I grieving this person who means so much to me? I was so filled with rage. I just couldn't quite get it. I couldn't quite get it. And the thing is, if I were to pass this mic around the room, we would all have experiences that are like, this happened, this is how it made me feel, and it made me doubt whether God loved me or cared for me or was miraculous or that he was good, or that he's loving, or that he's powerful, or that he's fair. And the thing is, we live in this tension that actually, unfortunately, there is no real definitive answer to our suffering. The kingdom is not now. We see foretastes of heaven coming in. You know, I've seen people get healed. I've seen some people miraculously saved from near death. I could tell you about when I broke my neck, for example. Just saying, and I'm not dead. Um, Spoiler. (laughs) Um, Some people are miraculously saved from near death. Some people do become Christians. Sometimes we do see people set free of demonic oppression. All of this stuff happens. And so because we see it, we keep praying. We have to keep praying because we want more of it. But the tension is the kingdom is also not yet. Sometimes it doesn't happen sometimes pain really hurts. Su- suffering is real. And actually, we don't really know why. But, a month, about a month after Joe died, I had this really, really vivid dream. Kind of like, you know when you have a vivid dream, but it's like, I'm, I feel like I'm awake, it's so intense? <laughs> Maybe you don't, but. I've experienced it. But I had this really vivid dream, and the dream was that I was crying and kind of, um, I, I looked like a child. I was like lifeless and limp, and God was cradling me, and God was holding me, and God was protecting me, and God was comforting me. And when I woke up, the grief process was still a thing. Like I was still navigating it. But I remembered that God was close and that he was grieving too, and that it hurt him, and that he really cared. And actually, that that perspective change, that experience of God being close to me, really helped the grief process. Because actually, he was raging against the pain. He doesn't want us to suffer. And that is not obviously just my experience. The Bible has countless examples of God's closeness amongst, you know, the most confusing, deepest, most difficult emotions grief, anger, jealousy, depression, rage. I mean, literally read through the book of the Psalms. There's not an emotion missing. And these people knew, David knew, God is close, God is my friend, God is listening to me, and I'm going to be honest with him. And this truth that God is not only your father, but that he is close, he's a close father, is actually right here in the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew's Gospel account, the first line of the Lord's Prayer is not just our father, it's our father in heaven. And I know that for so many of us, heaven might seem like up there, around here, swirling around, like somewhere up, um, In my head, I'm thinking God on like a 90s cloud couch blow-up thing, which I had listening to Destiny's Child. Um, But the translation of the Greek is actually plural. So our father in the heavens. And it's actually better translated, our father in the air around us. And what is being communicated is that heaven The the kind of Jewish understanding of heaven is that it was intersecting, heaven and earth coming together. They are married as one, interlocked, always connected. So when Jesus says, our Father in heaven, it would also be right to say, our Father who is near. Our Father who is close to us as the skin on our bodies. Our Father in heaven who is as near to us as the breath that we breathe in. Our Father who is close. And it's when you and I have this kind of accurate view of God, that one, he's our Father, two, that he's actually close to us, he's not a father that's absent, that actually, one, we're able to come to him as we really are. We're able to tell God what we feel, what we think. We're able to tell him things maybe we feel like we can't tell anyone else. So we're able to actually enjoy this emotional, intimate relationship that we see Jesus having, that's trustful. It's friendship. And two, we are able to pray in the Spirit's power for God's kingdom to come. As I said at the beginning, properly understood, prayer is relational, but it is also a kingdom-bringing weapon. It's the one that we have, and it is the best one. A few verses after the Lord's Prayer, it says this in Luke 11, which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, also just FYI, the evil word is trying to express that we are not perfect. We're not going to be perfect parents. So even though you are not a perfect parent, even though you fall short, and you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more... Will your Father in heaven who is perfect give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And the question I think here is why do we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit when we pray? Because, remember, we're all part of the I don't know how to pray club. We need him to help us. We're actually not really supposed to know how to pray. The Bible says that Prayer is like a learning process. So we engage with the Holy Spirit. He helps us to pray. Paul says that we don't really always know what we ought to be praying, but we, in, the Spirit prays for us and intercedes in us that we would know how to pray. So the idea is not like, oh gosh, I missed my spot. I woke up this morning. I didn't get on my knees at the end of my bed. It's over. Guess I'll try again tomorrow. It's also not... By mistake, I just dropped an F-bomb. So he's not going to be listening to me. It's also not like, oh gosh, how can I pray perfectly? Let me get on my face. I mean, you could. I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing, but there's, doesn't, it doesn't have to be like a perfect thing. It doesn't have to be... Just side note, of course, it's good to be disciplined. We can have that conversation another time. What I'm saying is just if you aren't disciplined, if you forget one day, it's not like God's like, just try another few days and then I might answer. You know, try and be a bit disciplined for a week and we'll see what we can do. He's like, as soon as you show up, he's like, yes, great. Doesn't matter, you weren't here the last three days. What do you have to say? What are you feeling? How are you doing? Tell me where you're at. Don't worry if you don't want to get on your face. You want to sleep? Don't worry about it. You know, I mean, how many people have been like in bed and been like, right, now's the perfect time to pray. You wake up the next morning. (laughs) We've all done it, but it's okay. It's not like that. The best prayer that we can pray is, Holy Spirit, please lead me. Lead me in prayer. And then you just wait. We can just wait in the silence. Holy Spirit, lead me in prayer. And then I bet you things will pop into your head. Maybe it will be a friend you haven't seen in weeks. And you're suddenly like, oh, i am I thinking of that person? Oh, Lord, I just blessed that person. Please, can you speak to them today? Maybe they're not doing very well. And then you can wait for a bit longer. Oh, yeah, I should really pray about the war in Ukraine because I really want to see God's kingdom there. I want to see you know. The way that prayer works is that we can trust him, that he can actually engage with us, and we can trust him that, like, he gets it. We're not, we're not going to perfectly pray every time. That's not, the, perf- the perfection isn't what he's after. He wants time with us. So if we invite the Holy Spirit, and then we just say what comes into our head, and then actually I think if we got used to doing that, we could then maybe just like let it go and see what God does with it. See, with what we, see what God does with what we actually have. Let's be honest about what we actually have. And it also means that anyone can do it. Because who wants to be part of a church where like the only people who get up and pray are the people who are like I have been a Christian for 30 years, and you know don't worry I perfectly know all of the words to say and the Christian words to drop. I mean we love those prayers, but we're not a church full of those people. We want to be a church that is full of people who go like I've been a Christian five minutes. Let me get up and pray. might you know I don't quite know how to do this, but I'm going to trust Him anyway. And we want those people who have been Christians 30 years. We want all of it. That's the whole body thing that we were talking about earlier. A few weeks ago, Chris mentioned that in Acts 4, Peter and John, which are two of the disciples, perform a miracle. And afterwards, they basically speak really eloquently, like probably, I'm thinking, fire comes down. It sounds like it was great. Like they preached eloquently to the crowd and said, it wasn't me who healed the person. Let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus has risen from the dead. So they preached the gospel to this crowd. And it says this in the passage. That while they were preaching, the teachers of the law looked on and that they, they marveled at the way that these people were communicating what Jesus had done. So the teachers of the law, the kind of like the, phari- the Pharisees, the, pe- the professional speakers, the ones who apparently know what they're doing, you know, those people, they were looking on being like, these guys are good. And then it says, this is the best bit, get ready. They realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men who had been with Jesus. Who had been filled with his spirit. Who had been with him, who had spent time with him. Peter and John were filled with the power of the spirit. And in the same way, we're just ordinary Anyone else feel ordinary? I feel ordinary. And we might not know how to pray. But ordinary is good. Unschooled is good. God can use that. He can use whatever we have. We just need to be filled with the Spirit. If I'm honest, when I first became a Christian, I was not the uh, most committed church attendee. I definitely would like attend and then be away for three months and then come back like, oh, I'm back. <laughs> hey, prodigal daughter, anyone? Um, yeah, that was my experience of church. But one thing I did really enjoy were like midweek groups. So we had students, we had thing like villages. And I really liked that because it was like food bit of worship, then I could talk about all the questions I still had and then we could like, learn to do stuff. It was like we learned to pray all together. It was a bit like all over the place. But that is what I loved because I felt like, oh, I don't have to just show up like perfect to church. Actually, I can just go to this small group and everybody knows my name and then I can apparently learn how to pray. So I loved that. And one girl in my student group, and you may have heard this story, but is good. Um, One girl in my student group had a hole in her heart since she was born. And while I was there, like the first couple of months I was there, it was kind of, the doctors basically said, unless you get a heart transplant, you've got six months to live. Because her kind of symptoms had got so bad and her heart just wasn't working like it should. So Obviously, we're like, right, we should get praying. So every time we saw her, it was like, let's pray. Every time, you know, we saw her even like going out for drinks, we'd be like, should we pray? (laughs) Should we pray in the pub? It works here. Um, So we just prayed whenever we could. And we went on this church weekend away. And on the way back from this weekend by the beach, um, on the train, she had a seizure. And she like dropped to the floor And was like writhing around. And obviously all of us are like young. Like I'm 20 years old or something. And also none of us know what to do with a medical emergency. Because none of us were studying medicine. And so we're just like looking at her like oh gosh what do we do. So we have to stop the train. An ambulance has to come and collect her. She gets taken back to London. You know it's all very like dramatic and horrible and traumatic. And then she shows up to church. And we're like... Babe, maybe you should have some sleep. Why are you here? <laughs> but in that moment, what, some, not me, someone that was, had a good idea was like, we should pray. And we all got around her and prayed for a last time, another time. But the thing about it was that, honestly, we had very little faith. If you can imagine, we prayed for this girl for now months the time is ticking on how long she's going to live. And actually, we've just watched her have a seizure. We're all quite traumatized. And so actually, the best prayers we can pray are like, Lord, please, can you heal her? Um, amen. Like, we just, we have nothing to say. We've got nothing left because we don't, it's nothing's. Ha- it feels like nothing's happening. Anyway, she goes home. And then on Monday morning, she has her like weekly regular checkup. And um, they do her weekly regular scans and they're like, hmm, something's a bit weird. There's some stuff not coming up on this. So they're like, right, okay, let's get you in for a MRI or whatever it's called. Because it wasn't coming up on her regular stuff. I can't remember the exact medical details. Um, but she had an MRI or whatever it is that like does a whole body thingy. And <laughs> I should learn the facts of this story. (laughs) I should email her and tell her to write it down. Um, But they do the, like, scan. And they're like, unfortunately, um, the MRI scanner at this hospital has broken because we know that for sure because we can't see anything on your heart. So we are going to have to transfer you to another London hospital. And she was like, great, that's so fine. She went to another London hospital and they were like, yeah, so What? (laughs) there's nothing coming up on your scan and the extraordinary thing was that the complications on the scan they were like the complications seems to have been healed but also the hole in your heart since birth is completely gone like you have a new heart you have a heart that looks like someone for your age and um, so they write on her medical notes miracle and she showed us the picture they're like there is this is literally a miracle and then they're like, okay, we've got to like make sh- we've got to verify that this has happened. So they still see her every week for a few months, and they're just like, yeah, I mean, there's still nothing there, so we don't really know what to do. Anyway, so she's completely healed. <laughs> Wasn't that, isn't that amazing? So she is completely healed, and. The amazing thing was, obviously, that's like a praise God moment. Tell the whole church, let's tell the testimony five weeks in a row. Let's, you know, oh my gosh, our heart's just been healed. But the extraordinary thing was that having that happen built so much faith for our church, built so much faith, especially because the people who are praying for her, it wasn't just me who was kind of a new Christian or a young Christian. Like, all of us were students. All of us were a bit like, the one, even the ones who did grow up in church were a bit like, do I really believe this anymore? You know, we're trying to na- navigate our own faith. And we have this experience of being like, so apparently Jesus is definitely real because here's a healing. And it meant the kind of increased faith thing meant that we just constantly asked who wants to get prayer for healing? Who needs provision? Who, you know, we went through this process of them being like up for it. God can do it. God can use us. God can do the things we're reading about in scripture. And in the year of Christina's heart being healed, honestly, in a group of about 40 of us, I think 20 people became Christians. We saw a broken pelvis healed. We saw someone's leg issue from birth healed. We saw a broken, like, a broken lower back healed. Like, honestly, it was just, and to me, the way I describe that is like it was all the faith because we just would not stop. We would not stop being like, Lord, you can do it. Lord, you can do it. Come on. And this is the power of God. This is the kingdom breaking in. I wanna see that stuff here. I wanna see that stuff at our service on a Sunday evening and morning, but also evening. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? couple of thoughts just before i end look i know that it's daunting i am aware that for some people who haven't had loads of experience praying especially i know for some people they're like i'll pray in my head but preferably not out loud in front of people look i get that it is daunting but can i promise you everyone feels the same thing We don't just walk in and start praying out loud thinking, oh gosh, I might look like a Wally. We all feel that. We're all human. Of course we think that we might. (laughs) I use the word Wally, okay? (laughs) Oh, I'm glad we're having a good time. (laughs) But we all have the same human experience of like, oh, it is a bit weird being in a group of 20 people praying out loud. It's okay that you feel that. Can I encourage you, if that is you, to, to, to come and pray with a small group? If you don't really want to get up like, in front here and be like, this is what the Lord is doing for me in front of a group of people, why don't you come to the prayer meeting before the service? It's at 4 p.m. It's in the chapel. You're all invited. Why don't you go to Seek First on Monday evenings? They pray every week. It's a small group of people. It's like, you know, you can be with a group of seven, ten people. You can get to know them. And then actually it feels a bit less scary. So please don't count yourself out, is my point. If you're a bit nervous, we need you. We actually need your gift. Like we need what you've got. Because you've been gifted to be part of our body. And if you're not part of it, we don't have a hand or an eye or whatever. You know, whatever you bring, we need that because otherwise we don't work. So we want you to be there. Secondly, I think one of the greatest most motivations for prayer is that we actually live in a universe of limitless possibilities and a city of limitless possibilities. People in the Bible pray as though their prayer actually makes an objective difference. Stuff actually changes. Paul, in his writings, describes us as collaborators with God when we pray. So what is it that you want to see happen at St. Peter's? What is it that you want to see happen in your own life? I'm just going to give you a moment to think about it. What, what is the thing that you most desire to see God do? Like wild. Does it, it can be wild. What do you want to see him do? Your friends becoming Christians? People getting healed? Homeless people finding shelter? People being set free of demonic oppression? An end to every sort of division you can think of a miraculous reduction or complete eradication of violence for young people on our street. Those suffering with drug addiction to be set free. Life courses being in prisons, not just on Wednesdays here. Like, what do you want to see God do? Because in Ephesians 3, it tells us that God is in the business of doing immeasurably more then not only what we can ask, but what we can imagine. So I want to encourage us, can we be a church that asks? Because if we ask, he might actually do it. If we ask to be filled with his spirit, he will do it. How much more will the Father fill the people who blah, blah, blah. I can't remember. I got that wrong. You know. Oh, it could have been a moment, but it wasn't. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Amen. <laughs> yeah, you were listening because you could do it. Um, okay, that's enough from me. Why don't we stand?